to the second night of this missions conference. It's good to see a good number of people here, even on this beautiful Friday night. We'll hear a piece on a very important topic that ought to be of great interest to us. Topic of personal evangelism.
such that we are called to be prophets under our chief prophet and teacher, Christ Jesus. Part of that calling which thou hast given to thy church, the essential part of that calling is to go and to proclaim the gospel of the world. And part of the calling that thou hast given to each member of thy church, <coughs> as prophets under Christ, is to confess him before men, to be lights in the midst of this dark world, to reflect his glory and his beauty, to be his witnesses, to speak and to live the gospel. That all those who cross our paths and whose paths we cross may see something of Christ in his people as living epistles, may we bear witness again. Strengthen us, Father, not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be silent, not merely to be passive in our witness, but to be active. For thou hast called our darkness into light, and may we earnestly desire to see our neighbors called, brought out of darkness into light, and knowing that thou art pleased to use the witness of thy people, and the words that are spoken, and even acts of love performed. Grant that we may be a people who love our neighbors as ourselves by seeking their eternal salvation, by being eager and desirous to witness to them, to tell them of Jesus Christ and his gospel. To that end, we use this conference and the speeches that are being given to rekindle and to inflame a zeal and enthusiasm for missionary <coughs> and for evangelism in our churches and in our community of faith. We thank you for our speaker tonight. We pray that God will give him the ability to bring us the word that he has studied with boldness for our instruction, for our edification, for our correction too, for we are people readily recognized who in sin. Times we want to do things stir up, up, stir up in us heart with this important work. Hear our prayer and pardon our sins graciously for the sake of the shed blood of our Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord, whose name we pray.
as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and in Judea. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had with you, and how we turned to God for titles to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath of God. Our speaker tonight is Reverend Daniel Holsteg. Reverend Holsteg is the pastor of Wingham Protestant Reformed Church in Wingham, Ontario, Canada. He was ordained in 2010. He began his ministry at First Kirsten College, Michigan. Reverend Holstead also served five years as a foreign missionary to the Philippines from 2016 through 2021. Reverend Holstead will be addressing us on the subject of echoing the word, the power of God, in preaching and evangelism. Thank you, Reverend Holstead, for speaking to us. In her recently published book, Say Among the Heathen, the Lord Reigns, Mrs. Jean Cordering tells a number of fascinating stories of people who were converted to Christ. She writes those stories about the time when she and Reverend Cordering were in the Philippines, rather in Singapore, in the 1990s and into the early 2000s. The first story that she tells in the book, which I imagine some of you have purchased and are perhaps reading, is about a young girl by the name of Po Lee. She tells that Po Lee was a girl who was the daughter of a woman who was a staunch Buddhist and a father who was a gambling, cussing alcoholic. One day, the young girl was in a shop, and another woman by the name of Karen, a member of the Covenant Evangelical Reformed Church in Singapore, saw her standing there looking at a picture, a painting of Jesus. Karen came up to Po Lee and said, do you know who you're looking at, and would you like to learn more about him? And the little girl said, yes. And from that moment, Karen began to teach the young girl about Jesus. She would meet with her in her place of residence and teach her from the scriptures about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Eventually, she began to take Poli to church. But she paid a great price for going to church. Her mother, staunch Buddhist that she was, would cane her on the back of her legs every time she came home from church and would cause welts to form on her skin. But Poli was a follower of Jesus, and she kept coming to church for a time. Many years later, Reverend and Mrs. Quartering saw the girl again. She had grown up, and she came back to church, and she had become a Christian, but not only that, through her witness to her parents, they too had repented of their idolatry, gambling, alcoholism, and had become Christians by the grace of God. What a stirring example of echoing the word by a lay Christian. First, Karen to Poli showed compassion for a lost soul who did not know anything about Jesus. She was willing to reach out to her, to give of her time, her energy, her effort, to teach her, and then Poli herself, who would witness to her parents about the hope that was in her. Can it be said about you and about your congregation that the word of the Lord comes to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance? Can it be said about you and me, your congregation and mine, that when the gospel comes to us, it comes in such power that we rejoice And we become examples to all the other believers, followers of the apostles, because from us sounds out the word of the Lord, not only to those in our immediate life, but also to those everywhere our faith to God's word is spread abroad. That was the example of the church in Thessalonica. The apostle writes this letter to them and commends them in the opening chapter about their good example, verse 7, to all those who believed in Macedonia and Achaia. And he says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. The Thessalonian Christians were not only an example to their contemporaries, but they have served as an example to the Church of Jesus Christ throughout all ages up to today. They are an example to us of what we ought to be doing individually and as congregations. But what we also find by their example is the relationship between the preaching of the gospel and personal witnessing. And we want to look into that a bit this evening. What we see in the example of the Thessalonians is that You, who are not ordained ministers, are called to sound out the word or to echo the word that you hear preached by your pastors in church on Sunday. So that's the subject we're going to dig into tonight. And we're going to begin by looking at the power of God in preaching. And then, secondly, the power of God in evangelism, personal witnessing and evangelism.
The power of God unto salvation begins with the preaching of the gospel. The official preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by those whom God has called and sent through the church to proclaim that gospel near and far. The Apostle Paul makes that plain in other places as well. Romans chapter 1, he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And very clearly and powerfully in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 21 says, After that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 23, We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And in the chapter that we heard read tonight, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. God has been pleased to use the preaching of the gospel of Christ as the means to bring to salvation those whom he has predestinated to eternal life before the foundation of the world. Those for whom he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to shed his blood for us on the cross, to atone for our sins, and to earn a perfect salvation. The Lord sends the preaching of the gospel into the world now to gather and to save those whom he has adopted in Jesus Christ through the cross. Because God is pleased to save his elect, redeemed people by means of faith. He is pleased to bring us to the conscious reception and experience of salvation by faith. And therefore, through the preaching of the gospel. In the preaching of the gospel, God sets forth the one who has saved us. God sets forth himself through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit as the Savior. Through the preaching, he sets forth what he has done. The gospel is not a message of what we must do to be saved. It's not a message of the works that we must perform to be saved. The gospel is the good news of what God has done. And the gospel is the promise of what God will do. The promise of salvation that he will do and that he will accomplish in Christ for those whom he has chosen. So the preaching is 
the method that God has chosen to bring us to faith. The preaching sets before us the Savior. The preaching sets before us the only way of salvation. It sets before us our only hope in life and death, our only comfort in body and soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the Savior from sin and death and hell and from the enslaving power of sin as well. But through the preaching, not only does God set forth Christ, but Christ himself speaks. The preaching is the tool that Christ himself uses to bring to salvation those for whom he died. Christ speaks in the preaching. He addresses whoever is before the preacher. And in that preaching, he exercises all the power of God. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ speaks powerfully to the hearts of his elect. He speaks to the sheep for whom he laid down his life, and they hear his voice. Christ speaks to the sheep in such a powerful way through his Holy Spirit that they respond to the gospel. Because in the gospel, not only is Christ set forth in all of the riches of salvation, but the preacher also brings the call of the gospel to repent and believe in Christ, to come to this Christ and lay hold upon him and find in him all that is necessary for salvation. And through that setting forth of what God has done in Christ, the promise of salvation in Christ, and the call to repent and believe in Christ, Christ himself speaks and works in the hearts of the elect, powerfully drawing them to a living faith in Jesus. And that's why the Apostle writes in Romans 10 that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The preaching of the gospel is God's ordained power and means to bring sinners to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, God himself has selected certain men throughout the ages of history to give their lives to the office of preaching. And the Lord Jesus lays the burden upon the soul of a man so that he cannot do anything else but pursue the ministry of the gospel. And Christ then calls him through the church and through the laying on of hands ordains him into the special office of the ministry of the gospel and clothes him with the gifts necessary to preach God's word. Through the church then, God sends that man to preach that word in a specific place. Some men are called to preach the gospel primarily within the sphere of the covenant to believers and their seed in a local established congregation. Others are called primarily to preach that gospel outside of the sphere of the covenant. They are sent by the church out into the world to go to the heathen, to those unchurched and unreached, and to place before them the gospel of Christ crucified with the call to repent and believe. 
But whether one is called to preach primarily within the sphere of the covenant or primarily outside that sphere, every single minister of the gospel is called to preach that gospel not only within but also outside of that sphere. We know that in the early church there were apostles and there were also evangelists. We don't believe there are apostles and evangelists anymore. But that does not mean that we preachers then say, therefore evangelism is no more. Rather, we preachers have to understand we are the evangelists. Our calling is to evangelize. And we may never think that our calling is only to preach in the pulpit in the local church, but also, always, to do the work of an evangelist in the communities in which we live. The churches have called Reverend Jim Lanning to preach the gospel now primarily outside the sphere of the covenant. For many years he has labored in the Hope Protestant Reformed Church and the Hall Protestant Reformed Church, preaching primarily within the sphere of the covenant. Now he's called primarily to preach outside that sphere. But all of us ministers may not now say to ourselves, Reverend Lanning is now going to do that work because that calling falls to all of us to bring the gospel within and without. Back in 2008, when I and some of my brothers sitting here were still in seminary, there was a conference just like this one. It was at Southwest Protestant Reformed Church. It was also sponsored by the Domestic Mission Committee. And there were some wonderful speeches given back then that had a big impact on me, and I'm sure on many others. Reverend Ari Den Hartog spoke, and I want to quote just a little from the notes I took that day. He was speaking about the need to pray for boldness for the preaching of the gospel. And he said this, according to my notes, Boldness is required in the pulpit. The minister must preach the whole counsel of the sovereign God. It must be preached without compromise, carefully, soundly, discerningly, authoritatively. To do this today requires boldness. There are fewer and fewer men today who do it. We must be confident that the church today, as in the past, is gathered through such preaching and nothing else. But it is also required that the missionary come down from the pulpit and interact with the people among whom he labors. Talk to them about the gospel in its specific application. He must also gather the church in remote areas. He must labor hard to make contacts. He must be a people person who seeks people out and speaks one-on-one. This requires courage to speak to the face of a man. There are many kinds of people. Pharisees, backsliders, apostates, pagans, hard-hearted, worldly-minded, disillusioned, Our American society is utterly corrupt and secular. People must be warned of the wrath and judgment of God and the salvation which is in Jesus must be presented. This boldness is necessary and so we must pray for it. Paul asked the church to pray that he would be given utterance and boldness to speak. The missionary must devote himself both to study of the word and to prayer. We must pray for boldness 
and for zeal. Through prayer, the gospel of Jesus will triumph. I would like to read too from the speech by Reverend Quartering that day, where he coined, as far as I know, the phrase that I now come to love. He said this, We must create a culture for missions in our churches. This will be like the early church. Our youth must come to appreciate missions. They must understand its importance. It must live in their hearts. Three ways to help with this. One, the Bible speaks of missions from Genesis to Revelation. Two, we must emphasize the beauty of the Catholic Church. We pay lip service to this, but in practice, we have a true church notion. This means we must learn to deal with differences without compromise. Three, we must develop a burden for the lost. Paul is the extreme example. He wished himself accursed for his brethren, Romans 9, 1 through 3. This culture must be developed on two levels. One congregational level. Each church must do missions. The local church carries first responsibility. It does work in her local area. She seeks to bring in the lost. How is she involved? The pastor must be involved. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. The pastor must not only pastor his flock, but also reach out. The elders must discuss missions also. And then the second level that he mentioned was this. Individual members also have the calling to witness. That leads me to the second main point of my speech tonight. Individual members also have the calling to witness. The preaching of the gospel that sounds forth in your pulpit, in your local church, does it come to you in power or only in word? The Apostle spoke to the Thessalonians that the Gospel came to them not in word only, but also in power. In power. And one of the proofs that Paul gives that the Gospel has come to them in power is that they had become in samples to all the other believers nearby. They had become followers of Paul and his companions, In what way? In this way, that from them sounded out the word of the Lord that they heard from the Apostle. It sounded out. Does the word of the Lord sound forth from you? Does it echo from you to the others among whom you live? As it did from Karen in Singapore when she saw Po Lee A stranger, whom she had never met before, presumably, staring at a painting of Jesus. And Karen didn't simply ignore her and go on her way. Karen didn't walk up to her and tell her how wrong it is to make paintings of Jesus. But Karen saw that as an opportunity to echo to her, to inquire whether this young girl might be interested in hearing the echo of the word of the Lord. 
The Thessalonian believers are the great example to us right here in the pages of Scripture for all the ages of history. They sounded out the word of the Lord or echoed it. What is an echo? I think I hear the echo of my own voice here in this building. I don't know if you can hear it or not. But just imagine that you are in the mountains, let's say. Maybe you are in a place where there's a beautiful deep canyon, but not too broad of a canyon. And you go into it and you shout. Maybe you say, hello, into the canyon. And what do you hear? You hear the echo of your own voice. As the sound wave comes out of your mouth and goes into the canyon, it strikes a surface, a wall, and it bounces back to you. That's an echo. An echo is a unique kind of sound among sounds because an echo is a repetition of an earlier sound. An echo is not the original sound, but a repetition of the original sound. The Thessalonians were echoing the word of the Lord wherever they went. The Apostle Paul had come to them. He mentions the fact that they had been idol worshipers. They had gone to the temple of their idol gods. They were complete unbelievers. But the Apostle came to them and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that that gospel entered into their ears and into their hearts. And when it entered into their hearts, it bounced off and it came back out through their mouths wherever they went in their daily lives so that their witness was like an echo. When they walked through the streets of Thessalonica, when they went down to the docks, when they went into their farms and fields, when they went into their shops and they met their relatives and their friends, you could hear from them an echoing of the gospel that they heard from the apostle. And I think that's a very vivid and memorable way to think about our witnessing. You are an echo. You are called to be an echo. And I am as well. All of us are. We are called to be those who bounce the word that we have heard off to others. And that's not only ministers, but ordinary believers. The witness of ordinary believers is like an echo. Because it is the repetition of the very same sound that they hear in church. It's not a different sound. It ought not to be a different sound. If the sound that they're hearing in church is the sweet sound of the gospel, if the sound that they're hearing in church is the beautiful, soul-saving, soul-enriching sound of the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ, then that is the very same sound that is to be echoed. The sounds that are heard when the Scriptures are expounded and explained and applied, that same sound is to be echoed. But an echo is not exactly the same as the original sound. You can always hear something a little bit different when you hear an echo. Because none of us is going to exactly replicate the style and the personality and the word order that our preacher gives to us in the sermon. Through our own personalities, with our own giftedness, at our own level, 
and according to our own abilities, we will echo the same gospel that is preached to us. But the witness of believers is unlike an echo as well. An echo is simply a physical phenomenon. It's a a natural cause and effect. If you speak in the certain circumstances, like shouting into a canyon, you're going to hear an echo. It's automatic. It's a mechanical thing. But it's not so with the witness of believers. When the gospel is preached, there are times when we simply don't echo it. And there are times when we do. There are times when we echo it well, and there are times when we don't. Because God never treats his people as senseless stocks and blocks. But the Holy Spirit works in us in a powerful and mysterious way. When the gospel is preached, and when we are told what is our duty as Christians in response to that gospel, the Holy Spirit works in a mysterious, powerful, delightful way, just as he works with salvation. He doesn't force us to believe, and yet he works in us so powerfully and irresistibly that we believe the grace of the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted by the child of God. Similarly, the Holy Spirit works in us when we hear the gospel in that sweet, delightful way that brings us to want to speak to others about the faith that we've been given. The Holy Spirit gives us that desire and longing to share the treasure that we've been given. That is, when the gospel comes to us not in word only, but in power. Has the gospel come to you in word only, or also in power? If it has only come to you in word, that is, if you only hear the words of the preacher, and you only understand those words as words intellectually and theologically, and maybe you're even able to to reproduce those words, then it's only coming to you in word. But if the gospel comes to you in power, that means that the Holy Spirit has caused it to land upon your deepest heart that you recognize, I a poor, wretched sinner, undeserving of any blessings, has been saved by the amazing grace of Christ. When the preaching comes to you and to me and pricks our hearts and makes known to us our sin, makes known to us that we deserve everlasting damnation, we deserve to go to hell for all eternity, for the sins that we have committed against the Most High Majesty of God, for our failure also to evangelize, for all of our failures. But God comes to us in that Gospel and says, but I have sent my Son for you. I have sent Him to take all your sin upon Him and to carry that burden to the cross And there to suffer the eternal wrath that you deserve for your sins. And he has done it. He has taken it all upon himself. He has suffered it all to the end. It is finished. It is accomplished. 
Salvation, full and free and eternal life, is freely given to us from Christ without any merit of ours. We are righteous in Him and heirs of eternal life. When that Gospel comes in power, then you cannot but speak of the things that you have seen and heard. Even if it means persecution, loss of life, imprisonment, and all manner of sufferings. The Thessalonians were suffering persecution for their faith. Why were they willing to do that? Because there was nothing more precious to them in all the world than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. They treasured it in their hearts. And so they were ablaze with zeal for that gospel, willing to shed their blood for it and to rot away in prisons if that was God's will. And they were eager, no matter what would come, to echo that word everywhere they went to tell everyone about their newfound faith. I think again of that little girl. Would you be willing to go to church to hear the gospel and then go home to your mother and to be caned until welts are formed on the back of your legs. To echo the gospel. The Thessalonians were so active that the apostle even says, we need not to speak anything. That's a striking sentence at the end of verse 8. I take note with you that the Apostle does not criticize them as if they were doing something that ordinary believers are not supposed to do because they've not been ordained into the office. Sometimes we have that mentality. It's not our calling, it's not our authority to speak forth the word of the Lord. And that is true. We are not given the authority to preach the gospel from the pulpit as an ambassador of Christ. And I think we would all feel a bit uncomfortable if we would take a megaphone and go and stand out on the corner of the street as an unordained person and try to preach the gospel to everyone out there. We recognize something about that belongs to the office of preaching, and yet we would also recognize that for us to speak to our neighbors at work, to have a Bible study with some interested co-workers, is very much part of what we are given the authority and the calling to do. Paul did not criticize them as if they were intruding into the office by witnessing but he rejoiced. And he said, they are so effective in sounding out the word of the Lord everywhere that they go that we don't even need to say anything. Remember, this is the same apostle who says elsewhere that the preaching of the gospel is the power unto salvation. The same apostle here says, and all these Thessalonian saints... They're sounding out the word in Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere they go. 
as they get on the ship and sail across the Aegean Sea and back doing their trade and commerce. They're speaking. They're telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ so that we don't need to say anything. And don't misunderstand that. Paul isn't saying that there was now no more need for preaching in all of Greece. And now he can just move on to Rome and Spain, which was his aspiration, and leave Greece behind, and there's no need for preachers and apostles there. That's not what he's saying. There's always a need for preaching. But what he is saying is that the very same power of God that is at work in the preaching also ran as like an electrical current into the congregation so that a little bit of that very same power was at work in the ordinary members of the congregation as they witnessed to their neighbors. That's an amazing thing. The Thessalonians understood that this great commission that's given to the church to go into all the world and bring the gospel to every creature is not merely the calling of those ordained into the office of ministry. But whereas those who are ordained as preachers are called to lead the way, to blaze the trail, as Paul was doing, all the believers that are brought to faith through that preaching are called to support, to pray, and to participate through their personal witness. In fact, the echoing of the gospel by ordinary believers is one of the greatest means that the Lord uses to spread the gospel. When I was on my internship in Wisconsin back in 2009, one of the books I had to read was Evangelism in the Early Church by Michael Green. One of the things he writes in that book is this about the early church. The little man, the unknown, ordinary man, was the prime agent of mission. The ordinary man was the prime agent in mission. We think of Paul. We think of Peter and John and the other apostles. We think of the great missionaries and the great reformers. But how often hasn't it been that the ordinary believer has been the one who spread the gospel? And all the ordinary believers together, through their witnessing, have spread the gospel. Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks why you are called a Christian. We are prophets, priests, and kings. And as a prophet, every Christian is called to confess Christ before men. Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism asks why we must do good works. And one of the reasons given is that others may be gained to Christ. We know that comes from the teaching of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You, child of God, are an echo of the preaching of the gospel. And you're called to be an echo. How are these two things related? Think of it like this. 
I don't know if you've ever gone to Europe and gone into one of those large stone cathedrals, but if you do, think of a beautiful, talented choir singing in one of those churches. And now imagine that you enter into the front door and you can't see the choir, but you can hear it. Or rather, you hear the echo. You hear the beautiful sounds of the choir echoing through the corridors, bouncing off of the stone walls through the church. And that sweet, beautiful sound enters your ear. You're not hearing the sound directly from the mouth of the singers. You're hearing a repetition of the sound. You're hearing an echo. But hearing that echo, you hear the beauty of that sound, and you want to hear more. You're drawn by that echo, so that you walk down the hallway and through the corridors of the church, searching for the choir until at last you have found it, and there you can see them and see them with their voices and their mouths open and hear the sound right out of their mouths. I think of it like that. The preacher is in the church. The people of God go out into the world and live in every sphere of society, and they echo the same word that they hear preached in church in a multitude of ways. And when God's elect people hear that echo, God causes a little bit of the power of the preaching to run like electricity through that echo to engage the interest of his lost son or daughter to come, to come, to hear from the original source from the preacher, the mouthpiece of Christ, the blessed glad tidings that he so longs to hear. The echoing of the word by ordinary believers then outside of the church is vitally important for the growth of the church. If there is no echoing, the church will not grow from without. If there is an echoing of the word by parents to their children, if there is an echoing of the word by grandparents to their grandchildren, by Christian school teachers to their Christian school students, there will be growth in the church, but it will all be internal growth. And that's what some have come to call an ingrown church. A church in which there is growth, but it's all internal. There's no external growth. There's no additions to the church from outside, and that's because there's no echoing, or very little. So it's a time for us to examine ourselves. Can it be said about us, as it is said about the Thessalonians, that they sounded out the word of the Lord Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, their faith toward God was spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You see what that means now? The minister can't go into every nook and cranny of Hudsonville 
and Jenison and Granville. But you go to those places. You live in those places. The minister is in his study. The minister is in the pulpit. The minister is in the catechism room. And the minister must engage in evangelism as well. But he cannot go into all the places where you go. And he ought not to need to go there. Because you are there. And your calling is to echo in those places. Now a few practical remarks in conclusion. First of all, when you echo the word of God to someone, one of the hardest things is often to know when to speak, who to speak to, and then what to speak. I would suggest that you look for opportunities to speak to the people in your life and that you be on the constant lookout for those opportunities and specifically that you look for those who have an interest. I've spoken to my next-door neighbor in Wingham on a few occasions and on one of those occasions he told me that he's an atheist that he had grown up in a church, but now he, through much study, has come to conclude that there is no God. There's no interest. You can still give a witness. You can still tell the man, oh, there is a God, and you can still call him to repent and believe. But when there's no interest, there's not much more that you can do. Look for those who have an interest, like little Poe Lee staring at the painting of Jesus. Do you want to learn more about him? Yes. Then keep going and follow up as Karen did. That means that we're not just waiting passively. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason of the hope that is in you. So that is one of the opportunities, is when someone asks you, and that ought to be happening more often. But that's not the only time when we are to speak when someone asks. We ought to be actively listening, actively watching, noticing, and we ought to be asking them questions as well. Are you a Christian? What do you believe? Do you go to church? Secondly, since we are to echo the word of the Lord, think practically about how you might use the sermons of your pastor in your witnessing. Maybe there's something in the sermon last Sunday that you can bring to your neighbor on Monday, but maybe not. But if you are listening to the preaching Sunday by Sunday, not just as someone who is receiving it for yourself, but also with the active thinking, who in my life can I share this with? That's how we ought to be listening as well. And then think too of that in your daily devotions. I was thinking to myself, if I go up to a person in town and ask them what trials or troubles they have and they proceed to tell me about their addictions or their sickness or their cancer, what is something I could say to them right away? Think about scripture texts you can use to echo the word of the gospel. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but have eternal life. And many other texts. Thirdly, when you echo the word, be primarily positive. At first. And always. Primarily positive. Not debating, arguing about the existence of God on philosophical terms like my atheist neighbor would like to do. Not accusing them of all of their wickednesses right up front, but get to know the person a while. Develop some kind of relationship with the person. Develop some kind of trust from the person with the hope of pointing him to Jesus as his hope. What is most important? To convey to the person that he's wrong about this, that, and the other thing? Or to tell him the gospel, which is, by the way, a positive message of salvation. There is an important place for correction in evangelism, but be primarily positive and always use scripture. Last night at our, one of our discussion groups, our leader told us that he has traveled to Germany with uh, one of our professors. And he said when you travel with a professor, you can observe how he behaves and how people treat him. And people often come up to the professor and ask him questions. And he was struck by the fact that this professor would listen to what the person said and would say, that's right. That's right. Yes, yes, that's good. Every time the person said something, correct. And if the person said something that didn't sound quite right, he wouldn't immediately beat him down and say, that's wrong, you're wrong, it's all wrong. But he would say, well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Let's see what the Bible says. That's how you can bring correction in a humble and biblical way. Fourthly, pray for your neighbor. Do you pray for your neighbor by name? Specific neighbors that you know are struggling, that you know have an interest, whose path has crossed your path, whom you are hoping to have an opportunity to speak to? Do you pray for him? And then, of course, invite him to church. Notice I didn't say that at the beginning. Don't do that probably right away. Get to know the person first. You want to bring him to church so he can hear the preaching of the gospel. But you have a calling first as an echo. There are many ways that we can echo the word of the Lord. Publishing magazines. This day and age, making podcasts. Writing a blog. We can converse with people online. But I still think that the most important and the most effective is face-to-face personal communication with the people that we know. So I want to conclude by exhorting all of you and myself to echo the word of the Lord. I want to exhort you as consistory members and as members of 
mission committees and as fellow pastors to engage the work of evangelism to the best of your ability, using the time that God has given to you and the talents. And as pastors, let us lead the congregations by example, also in personal witnessing, that we can say to them, be as I am, follow my example. And may God use our witnessing for the glory of his name and the gathering of his church. Thank you for your attention.